and welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What Podcast Talking, your Houston Texans, straight from the Great British Isles, and we've got a win to talk about this week, it was rainfall, ponchos and a slippery ball pretty much came the Texans way, um, and a game that was rather handed to us on a plate, but you'll take it in a season like this. Joining me this week to discuss it and a bit more is Texans Unfiltered, Mr. John Wade, how are you doing? Doing very, very well, I mean, let's be honest, Like that was a completely unexpected... Completely unexpected win. Sorry about that. Um, so we got to take them when we can get them. And you know, it's always nice to beat the Titans, no matter what's going on. Yeah, I think, you know, it never fails to amaze me how much an impact rain makes on a game, especially like that a stadium. It's not got a single brick of roof or slate of roof or whatever you want to call it. And just the havoc it plays with the, the point after, the running back fumbled, even early when it wasn't even that wet, um, Adrian Peterson fumbled it. Obviously, you know it seemed it looked just visually weird. Not for the first time this season, the punting so far in the in enemy territory um, at their thirty-five yard line, and it worked out. Um, luckily for for Cully again, but uh, yeah, rain just it, it just plays havoc with with that with the ball. I think and it just that you can't underestimate the impact it can make. Well, yeah, definitely. But I mean, that goes for both sides. Um, we had to use the same wet ball. We played on the same wet field. We played in that same stadium, and we were actually able to take advantage against a team that, I mean, by wins and losses, are supposed to be the best team in the AFC. So we got we got to take them, take them when we can get them. And I mean, that sort of stuff never happened for us last year. So it's like you know what, I'm going to be happy. We had a little bit of luck, and maybe I know the uh, the joke on Twitter was it was our Super Bowl, and you know what, maybe it was. But hey, beating the Titans. Having things actually go our way, even though our offense still has a lot of issues, I will definitely take it. Definitely take it. Yeah, where do you stand, John, on the sort of, it's a bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Because you've kind of got a, a season that's kind of lost, a team that's you know shockingly bereft of talent and not, you know, with, to, to the point where next season could be very similar to this, you know, if not just an iteration of it. Um, so you know you've got one crowd of people on one side that say you know you want to tank and you want it you want to um, you want to get the highest pick you can. But I, I I thought I was thinking about this last night because I was trying to explain it to somebody that I said you know it's actually sometimes it's within your interest to lose. But then on the flip side of that, when there's no number one clear you know paradigm changing quarterback out there, actually if you're at third or you're at fourth, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of happy to leave that in the gods based on what I know about this draft class right now. Yeah, I mean. My understanding from this draft class is currently there's about five guys that could potentially be worth enough. Um, the defensive end out of Oregon is everyone's favorite, right? Guaranteed that he's gonna that he's gonna end up being the first overall pick. There's still a lot of time between now and the NFL draft. However, the problem, let's be honest, even if there was a quarterback like a, a Trevor Lawrence or whomever we're thinking of like the surefire number one, the Texans don't have enough talent around them to support. Them. So this year's, you know what, if we're, we have a top five pick, we're going to get a quality player. We need a quality player at just about every position. I, I don't even think that, I mean, the amount of play, players that we have that you would not consider replaceable. Like if there was a, an easy, a better option out there, like maybe a handful of guys, maybe, I mean, You've got Bernard, you've got Blacklock, Reed's a free agent, who knows if he's going to be back. And on the offense, 
I mean, I don't know. Maybe Brandon Cooks. Maybe. Like, who who on the offense irreplaceable? Like, we've been playing without Tunsil. We went up against a team that was um, top five in sacks, and I think over the past three weeks they had led the NFL in sacks. Didn't give up a single sack. So it's not always the talent level at offensive line. Sometimes it's also the, the how well they they mesh with other people. So again, this isn't to bash Tunsil. Like Tunsil's a great player, but you can make prior to Tunsil, so you wanted to have have a guy out there. But I think that it's just kind of telling our offensive line's been been fine. So even Tunsil, he's replaceable at this point. Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I suppose it, it happened last year with Tunsil, and I, again, not to go over old ground, but it it, it it reoccurs all the time that when he's not in the lineup, there isn't necessarily a big drop off. So the, the investment at that position, when actually it's it's you can cover it up with scheme and 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 route concepts and and quarterback timing and and just general cohesion with five guys. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, the mistakes are are well are well documented. Johnson's probably not a big big amount um, to sort of, to gain going over that stuff, particularly in a win as well. I want to try and keep it light, but I suppose one thing before we get into the game was the the, the movement of positions. What did you think of? Well, I suppose there's two 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 uh, switches that they're asking guys to make. Jeff Driscoll, who's a guy who's hung around here for some time now, uh, they're going to move him to tight end. Wasn't out there on Sunday, and you think he'd be you know right at the back of the line for snaps. So and then you've also got um, Lonnie Johnson, which is is a strange, strange one because when people were talking about him getting, getting traded, I said I thought the only way you could get any value from him was if somebody was going to use him as a reclamation project at corner uh, because either Greg Jackson gets fired at the end of the year because of his positioning at safety and he just didn't know what he was doing or he just can't mentally process it. I don't know. Um, I suppose safety is probably a bit more of a cognitive position in corner at times. So what did you think of those moves? And I suppose how does that now put on a lens of the 2019 draft class when you've got Max Sharpen, you know, demoted to basically jumbo packages as the, the, the sixth lineman? Well, let's see. Sharping, um, he's the easy one. I'll start off with him, or maybe not necessarily the easy one. He was a guy that played left tackle in college. He didn't give up a sack, I think, since he was like a sophomore in high school. Like, phenomenal t- tackle. Usually people kind of consider playing guard easier than tackle, um, but it is more physically demanding. So what that says to me about Sharpen is Sharpen maybe got by, especially if you look at his, his size, maybe just got by, uh, he got by on his football skill, his ability to play tackle and maybe guard just won't work for him. He just can't get that NFL level strength for the guard position. So he may end up being, I, he, he may end up being switched back to tackle. Like it would not surprise me. Like he just, it's not clicking. I mean, he had a pretty good um, uh, rookie season. And just since then though, it's just been straight downhill. Like maybe COVID has affected him more so than anybody else. Cause he just couldn't train the way he needed to. But usually at guard, you want your guys that are essentially just maulers that are going to push guys off the ball that are going to open up those running lanes. And he can't do that. He's all right. He's passable in pass protection, but he just can't do anything in the running game. And he's not the only one like our, that's, Essentially, the biggest problem with our entire offensive line is they don't have the ability to push people around in the running game. So with him, I mean, he's another guy 
probably going to get bounced around, probably going to be a reclamation project. Lonnie Johnson, it, it's interesting because he's got a little bit of Kareem Jackson to his game. So I was actually one of those people that thought he could fail into safety. Um, the problem with playing safety, though, versus playing corner is you've really got to be aware of what the entire offense does versus essentially your guy. Um, and it looks like Lonnie just, for whatever reason, it, it's just not clicking there. Either he's playing hesitant or just not grasping what he needs to grasp because he tried so hard to be a corner. Like he really, really tried, but he, he had the physicality to play safety. He has the size to play safety. Um, and he's good at playing the ball in front of him. That's why those interceptions that everybody keeps saying are luck continue to happen to him because he's good at playing it in front of him. When he struggled at corner, he struggled with flipping his, flipping his hips and keeping up with the guy, even though he would usually be a, he would usually be just as fast as him, but it was just a technique issues essentially at corner. He always played better when he could face the guy. Again, this is why you thought he would be okay failing into safety if he couldn't, if that wouldn't click at corner. But it looks like just like his football knowledge is better when he only has to focus on one guy. That's my guess. That's my, my assumption on why they're moving him back to corner. And you know what? I mean, he seems, he seems like a good guy. It seems passionate. Like I want him to do well. Like I really do. I do feel bad that the coaching staff has bounced him around, but these co- the coaches know more than we do. They're with them every single day. I know that there's a lot of attitudes out there that, oh, we, we have these coaches can't see things that fancy. And sometimes they can't because probably they're too close to it. But with Lonnie Johnson to move him and then move him again, they have to be seeing something from a coach's angle to think that this is going to work out instead of getting him to try and learn the game to play safety a little bit better. And I think it was Jordan Texans thoughts that pointed out that if Lonnie Johnson is actually the perfect size to play corner in the Tampa two, yeah, he's the perfect size for, for, for Lovey Smith and what he likes to do with the corners. So maybe yeah. it'll, maybe it'll all work out. And the Jeff Driscoll thing, I don't really care. Like that's the <laughs> thing that I was trying to make a, a point when I kind of got into it a little bit with Rivers McCown and Rivers knows way more about football than me, but and he, he kind of pointed out something that I'd overlooked. It's like, then why is this guy taking up a spot that we can try and potentially poach from another, from another team? Well, he's got the size and physicality to play tight end. Um, if you go back to the preseason, I joked around after, I think, the second preseason game where our entire offense in the fourth quarter, or maybe it was the first preseason, preseason game. I don't know. That was so long ago where Driscoll would be a great tight end because, or we could run a single, single wing offense with him in there because he can't throw the ball. But as a runner, he can, he can move the ball. Like he seemed to be a very natural runner. So maybe the Texans, again, they see something with him. They know him. He can still be an emergency quarterback. They floated this idea of doing like the Taysom Hill packages with him. So maybe, I mean, it's worth a try. Like if they're not going to go out and look at any of these guys on practice squads and and, and to be honest, like as much as I'd like that to happen, you go out there and you look for somebody you can still off practice squads. It usually doesn't work out. Now it's worked out with Morrissey so far as a center. Like he's looked mm. really good, but that doesn't necessarily happen. But at the same time, like if it was me and I was in a serious position, I would be trying to put a running back because our running backs, like Donta Foreman was a street free agent up until two weeks ago. They signed him, brought him back and granted he's come back from an Achilles. He would have been the best running back on our roster. And I mean, he wasn't all that impressive, 
but compared to ours, he would have been easily the best. Yeah, but they signed Royce, picked up Royce Freeman last week as well, and again, a guy who's he's got some history of production in the league, but for whatever reason, there just seems to be a, a mismanagement of that position. But you know, I think, but yeah, I think when you saw Dontrell Hilliard, who was on our you know squad that didn't make it, when you when then you've got. Um, you know, who was a victim of the O'Brien culture wars. And I think, that, you know, that culture thing, I know people keep going back to it, but I, I generally think that's why they're, they're trying every angle with uh, with Dr- Jeff Driscoll because he fits that mould of what they want um, or what they think they want. Anyway, um, so, I th- yeah, it, it seems a funny one. Yeah, the Jeff Driscoll one, I think, yeah, for me, I think when you think this is the pinnacle of a sport, when it is incredibly difficult, there is so many... Men, women, and children up and down the country that try and give their all to make this and be even just even be lightly involved at this sport, and you're giving a guy an op- an opportunity to be a tight end after he's failed at quarterback at this stage of his career over other people. Kind of doesn't sit all that great with me, and I think it probably goes back to that point as well, John. I think that although this is meant to be a new era and a new regime, there's so much stuff that easily feels similar. Um, and I was listening to one of the in-house Texas media podcasts and they're talking to Danny Amendola. I was listening. I actually missed most of the game yesterday. I was flying back um, from vacation and I, I caught the, the sort of tail end of the game, watched it back this morning. But there was an interview with Danny Amendola and he talks about, you know, on his onboarding process essentially and talks about Dylan Thompson and he actually refers to Dylan Thompson as part of the player personnel team. And like, I don't know if that's just phrase, you know, poor phrasing. Um but there just seems to be a lot of stuff bubbling in the background that feels very similar um, to all the kind of thoughts and, and reflections at times that, that were deeply rooted in the cultural flaw or cultural, not cultural flaws, but the structural flaws we have in how we operate as a football team and has put us in that position. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting that that just popped up again just before the game. Um, but look, winning cures all, so we can maybe move on. But I think it just it feels like that's just dangling in the background, and it and I don't know when it will go away. I mean, like I get what you're saying, but I mean, what can we do? We can reform yeah. the fell, like, and we don't want them to fail. Like our our days are so much better when the Texans win. Like we may not necessarily agree with the directions that they're going and how they're prioritizing things, but I think that it's like anything else, like if they actually have a plan and follow through with that plan and don't deviate from it, then it'll probably work out. I mean, that's usually how things work. And for there's a lot of players out there that are very much like Dylan Thompson. Um, I mean, these, kid, these kids, most of the time coming out of college, they're coming from the deep South. Um, like the South produces more football players yeah. than any place else per capita. And then it's California. And then... I think New York is up there. Yeah, Ohio, but maybe. For the yeah, vast, yeah. vast majority, like they're coming from southern states where the kind of culture that Dylan Thompson is preaching, that Jack East are reflecting. I mean, it's it's not that uncommon. Like, I mean, I played sports down here. I played football. I played soccer. I played baseball. I'm so, and I played those all through high school. And I'm so not surprised by any of those attitudes. Like, it's not that unusual like if you go look at Dabo Sweeney and Clemson it's the exact same thing so ultimately like that stuff I get why people are are upset about it but to me it's a non-factor because it ultimately what comes down to is can they find guys that play football and want to play together um 
and if that happens, then then it should be it should be fine, and everything about Easterby and Dylan Thompson and all that will be forgotten. Yeah, that's right. And I think the the ultimate challenge of the front office and Nick Casario. Did you see? In fact, did you see his interaction with John uh, Robinson? Is it John Robinson? Yeah, the Titans GM. Um, and uh, at the start of the game, it was on the broadcast, and just. <laughs> Yeah, I, there's something about Casario I've never quite worked out. I don't know if it's just his introverted character trying to act extrovert, or just the way he sort of kind of literally bowled over, crippled himself laughing. I just thought it just looked visually odd, the exchange uh, from Nick. I don't know what he's... Uh, I, 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 I still can't quite work him out as a guy because you see his interviews and he just says a lot of words and not a lot of, you know, he's great at giving the sort of politician answer, isn't he? Which is, which is part of the job, I get that. Um, he doesn't really yeah. say a much. He says a lot of words for three or four minutes. Doesn't necessarily um doesn't give you a great idea. Um, yeah, but, but I mean, but, I mean, granted, he sits there and he gets up there and he filibusters, but at least he's talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting that him and Brable, um, Brable as a head coach is very much in the trenches during practices, and then Nick Casario also do, is very much in the trenches during practices, especially for a GM, like to actually be out there throwing the ball with the guys. Like that's un that's just not done in the NFL, but it's just, it's interesting because it's all that paid. I guess it comes over from the Patriots. I don't know. I mean, I don't really see Parcells out there doing it, but, or not Parcells, but Belichick or mm-hmm. Parcell even because it's all the same tree. Um, so it's just, I don't know. It's interesting. And John Robinson, what did he come from the Patriots? I can't yeah, remember. He did, I want to say, yeah. I want to say he did. So yeah, it's just another guy that they have relationships with and you know they're all it's it's annoying at this point they're all they're all part of that same tree they're all part of that same family that same culture like half the gms in the league come from the patriots so it's it's another one of those things that just is what it is i mean i'm kind of tired of it to tell you the truth yeah but Hopefully, hopefully somebody somewhere will have actually figured out how to how to scout players like Belichick did. Yeah, and I think the Tennessee have done a great job. And I, I think, I mean, you consider how many injuries they've had. They're sitting top of the AFC. How long that'll last? Because I think you know you saw more players go off, and that was a big factor in the game yesterday. AJ Brown went off. There's so many guys mm-hmm. that they, they've just found. In, I think they're two. I think it said in the broadcast at the start. They're two guys away from hitting the record using 82 players. They've continued to find. Um, you know, players to replace guys, and I think that that I think that uh, plus the weather was the biggest factor. They've just had so much turnover on the roster, so many injuries. There's only so many guys out there that you can find that are you know elite level that can you know prosper at this level, and you can't keep replacing players upon players. You know, at this stage of the season, so I think the big factor was in with Ryan Tannehill as well. I think he just imploded. I think that was the the biggest thing, wasn't it? Five turnovers, and I suppose all the rhetoric that uh, Mister Cully keeps going on about. Um, I suppose. It is, it is true, um, or largely true. It is a fact. I think they've overplayed that, and I think that's probably the the, the, the bit that's griped on people. But obviously, when you have five turnovers and you don't turn a ball over yourself, you better damn make sure you win that ball game. Well, I mean, we had five turnovers against Miami, and we saw how that went. So, yeah. Well, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I, nothing nothing is beyond imagination, especially with this this Texans team. Like. I was so depressed after the Miami game. However, because it, it's one thing to it's one thing to lose. Like 
I get it. And ultimately better for the Texans if they do lose, but to lose with no hope, like you don't even see anything potentially getting better. That's what it felt like leaving the Miami game. This game, I feel, I mean, naturally we won. So you're happy about winning. I think that Nico Collins flashed. He should have had a touchdown. Like I'm, I'm, I'm actually mm. livid like that. He had a knee and an elbow down. Like seriously, yeah. like whatever. I guess they're trying to say that his knee down was actually touching the line, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I, I froze it and just just on the on the laptop there just just at that moment and his knee does just brush the paint, um, but you know I, and actually you see a bit of the turf move and I reckon I, I thought at the time myself if that was on a field turf artificial I think you would I think it would have been given. Yeah, I I think so too. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm I'm one of the first people that'll say that's like, hey, we got away with something, but that one I think he had a touchdown. And I mean, Nico, I mean, he, he, he's showing something and I don't think that he gets a throw like that from Davis Mills. Mm. So it's kind of this, like the Jets are doing the same thing. Do you try and develop your quarterback or do you try and develop your players around them? This even goes back to what we were kind of saying a little bit earlier, where I'm cool not having the first pick overall, because I don't think we're in a position where we're ready for a quarterback. Yeah. Because a rookie quarterback can't develop the talent around. Them. So completely get it. And last week against the Dolphins, when, or two weeks ago against the Dolphins, when Tyrod went out there, and I'm like, well, he can't play either, so he's not going to develop anybody. But if he comes out there, and obviously he was still hurt against the Dolphins, but if he comes out there and he plays like Tennessee and he's giving guys a fighting chance for the ball, then he can actually help develop Brevin Jordan. He can help develop Nico Collins. Like Brevin Jordan, I think next year there's three passes that were thrown to him that next year he catches. But this year he just, you know, he's still a little bit of a college player waiting for the ball to get, go to him yeah. and he didn't attack it as well as he needed to. Um, but again, that goes to actually having Tyrod Taylor throwing him the ball where I'm not sure that Davis Mills gives him that same throw. Yeah, no, I think that, I mean, I think those two guys are definitely a benefit in the offense. And I phrased it exactly that, John. I think that you've got, there's a better chance that those two guys will be NFL starters than perhaps Davis Mills will be, or at least one of them will be just by by numbers game. So I think you yeah, having Tyrod out there throwing it to those two guys was good. Only two catches between them, but it was good to see uh, Tyrod trust in Brevin on third down. I think that's important that obviously that you can see that chemistry building there. The coaching staff are obviously building third down packages for him. Um, he probably should have had that one that Elijah Molden punched out his, uh, his hands on the sideline and it sort of stalled the drive when they needed to. But I think the overall, John, the, the offense, if it wasn't for Tyrod's legs as well, I, I think it would have been a, a measly day because, again, couldn't run it. Um, and, and conservative play calling from Tim Kelly, that's another discussion I think altogether if he'll be here next year. But, um, you know, running it on third and medium, second and medium, it just is, is, is not good to watch. But, yeah, Tyrod... Tyrod kept them in that game, and if it wasn't for his legs, scrambles for two scores, then you know it might have been a, a five turnover game where you might not have won if it hadn't been for the the elusiveness of Tyrod. You know when the when the play breaks down. Well, I mean, here's the truth: it's like whether or not, because it's kind of a discussion that I had with somebody offline. Is it David Johnson or is it Tim Kelly that's the reason why we can't run the ball? Because David Johnson, they don't seem to get. He may be a big guy, but he can't run the ball like a big guy. He's a receiver. He's a scat back in a bigger guy's body. And our running game looked better with um, 
I was about to call him wood <laughs> with a Burkhead. with a Burkhead. Um, it looks so much better. He was our he was our best running back yesterday, and he's he's not that great at this point in his career. A couple of years ago, he was a he was a fairly decent running back. He was a guy that always looked like he needed to have more touches, but he's just he's not there. But he is he's a smart runner. He knows when to pivot. He knows when to find holes, and it just makes me wonder. Like I know our offensive line has not done a good job running blocking, but as much as I'm over Tim Kelly, like if Tim Kelly's back next year, I don't I don't even know. Like I I can't make any threats, but I'm still gonna watch him. Yeah, but he won't be. I will be, be. I will be beyond surprised if he's back next year. But I do think some of it is not necessarily just his his run schemes, but whomever's decision it is to stick with. Um, of David Johnson as much as they have like David Johnson again should not be used like a true running back he should be used like a third down back he should not be running it up the middle ever and he should be using being used as a pass catching back but you know they're stubborn I guess they're still trying to win that trade even though the guy that made the trade's not here anymore do you, do you think it's something to do with the way they evaluate though because like I agree I mean I've not watched the 22 for this week because it'll be out later uh, later tomorrow morning um but the the Jimmy Morrissey pickup, I think, yeah, I, I liked what I saw last week, and obviously there were some mistakes, especially that one at the goal line in Miami, um, and then the Gary and Christians come in as well, and but they're for me, I don't know if you've noticed this, John, but they're both exactly the same as kind of what we've got in in terms of guys that are actually serviceable pass blockers with some upside, but can't run block worth a damn, and I don't know if that's just that we were scouting and and that, do you know, and it just seems like it's all repeating itself consistently. Well, um, we had talked about it last year with, with Deshaun Watson, because I had pointed out um, that every guy that we brought in on the offensive line had a plus run blocking or a plus pass blocking grade, but a negative run blocking. And I think the idea behind that last year, I don't really know if it's still the same this year, but last year, the idea behind it was, well, when you have a quarterback, that's an extra runner, they get sacked a lot. You're looking for guys that maybe will protect them better as a passer. And then you rely on him being that extra runner to just naturally make holes in the running game because the defense has to account for him as a runner. So they're essentially playing a man down. Um, that's actually the cheat code. Like it, if you look at teams traditionally um, other than us that have a, a threat as a running quarterback, their running game efficiency goes way up regardless of who they have playing offensive line, regardless of who the guy is running behind them. Um, like an easy, just clear example, because everybody is familiar with this, was Alfred Morris was a below replacement running back, but playing with RG3, he was able to put up just pro bowl numbers because of the way they stretched him. And then as soon as Cousins came in, um, Alfred Morris fell off the face of the planet. He then went to Dallas and still was nothing. It was just having that running the running quarterback, running, uh, open everything up. That's what Baltimore does so well with Lamar Jackson. It doesn't matter who they throw back there. They're like Devonta Freeman is having a decent season. Like, how old is Devonta Freeman at this point? Yeah. It's just you have a running quarterback. It makes it easier to run the ball. The Texans can't do that. Um, and I don't know if they've just erred too far on the side of like, hey, just good guys that are good at pass blocking and the running quarterback threat will make up for it in the running game or 
or if it's something else like that our running backs just can't take advantage of just like the natural gaps there they'll open up like we don't have guys that have have vision have good enough running vision to just pick it up make the cutback which now that i'm saying this out loud so this is kind of just me rambling on a thought like that may be the reason burkhead looked so well so good yesterday he was just able to take advantage of holes that kind of popped up but weren't blocked and that's kind of what we needed to be looking for with a running back where david johnson was never that guy um when he had his most success in arizona he was running in a power scheme where he was essentially following the blocker he's not a natural running back. he's a he's a wide receiver so yeah. if he could follow a blocker he looked pretty good and follow a blocker to the edge he looked pretty good Kim's um, since um, the guy that lasted one year as a head coach in Arizona, uh, Wilson McCoy, he tried to turn David Johnson into something else, and then they brought, and then we bring him here, and we continue to try and do use David Johnson that same way, where he's just he's not that guy. Um, where Ingram, he looked like he had some juice, and it may be similar to Burkhead, he could just see things a little bit better. Whereas, why am I blanking on his name as well? Um, the guy we brought in from Denver. Oh, Philip Lindsay. Yeah, he was marginalized. Philip Lindsay. Yeah. Yeah. He, he wasn't really used at all. But what he did really well in, in Denver as well was follow the blockers. So we don't have the offensive line where these guys can just follow blockers. It has to be guys with vision. And I don't know. I mean, that's, that's just what it's looking like to me. Yeah, no, I think you're right. What what bugs me is, and again, a bit old ground here, but like it's still relevant yesterday because you needed to move the ball. If you just had to piece some drives together, it would have been more comfortable than the scoreboard perhaps suggested. Um, but I think the the fact is they just flip flop. You know, they they run power, they run split zone. They, you know, they're pulling guys who aren't very good at pulling because they they aren't able to translate their their uh, their their weight and mass into into power at the point of attack. And it just it seems like a basic coaching fundamental point, but. It continues, and James Camp does not necessarily improve this line as everybody would have thought. Um, and so they, they don't stick with the, the, some some small key principles. I think when you look at Tennessee, despite all the turnover, they, they still run the same scheme, teach the guys how to play that scheme, and continue to run the ball and move the ball. You know, with a level of proficiency, considering some guys weren't even you know didn't even think weren't even dreaming of being playing in Nashville. Um, you know, prior to some injury. So, yeah, it's kind of frustrating for that point. It seems basic, but yeah, we just, for whatever reason, that seems to elude us. And again, it's an, another theme carried over previous to current regime. But um, but yeah, it was certainly, it's certainly in those conditions, you have to be able to run the ball. If you want to be a good team at certain times of the season, particularly in, in the, as, the, as people get banged up, you have to be able to run the ball. I mean, from a personnel standpoint, the Texans want to run power. I, I, the, there's a belief um, that if you're able to run power, like that's the most unstoppable play in all of football. If you have an offensive line that can overpower a defensive line and you can consistently get three to four, it's like that's what makes an offense just really hum. Like that's um, something that they've always, they always shot to do in New England. Um, it's just making sure that you, when you need to, you could always run power. So they went out there and they got these huge, huge guys like, our offensive line mass wise it's when everybody's healthy is like comparing an sec offensive line to an acc like it's just so these guys are just huge but they're big guys so you naturally think that they would be able to run power and they can't they just physically can't for whatever reason they can't they should be able to but they can't but they're too big to run zone so our running back and our running game seem to have more success with outside zone 
but our offensive line is not athletic enough to actually pull it off consistently. Yeah, you, you see that. They just don't get, they just don't go and, go and see the edge and it just doesn't happen. And, and yeah, I mean, I think the offense was, you know, it is an impediment to this team and regardless of who's out there with it based on the personnel we've got. But yeah, you'd like to see Royce Freeman playing. Like, you know, you're talking about David Johnson being great behind a blocker. You've got um, Quesenby's brother on the practice squad. You know, why not throw him in for the last couple of games, see what he's got. You've kept him on this, you know, until this point in this season so you know go and see if he makes an impact it might just be two or three plays he, he, he breaks a hole for you in a game but it's two or three more holes than you're getting now and it takes a bit of pressure off your defence before we come on the defence you touched on it earlier in terms of the, the the call that was given against Nico Collins for being um, out the back of the end zone there there was also the spot on fourth down which then they oddly went for it but Cully throws two ta- challenge flags loses both I suppose he probably just added to his resume of questionable in-game calls. The first one, fair enough, go for it. I think somebody's probably in his ear, but second one is fourth and one. If you're going to go for it, what's the point of challenging it? I don't, I don't, I didn't get that. I mean, I think he had a case on both. Like Kelly oh, yeah, has yeah. done some things. He's done some things that are absolutely head scratching. Um, these were the first two challenges, which actually, when you sit there and you think about it, it's like, yeah, they are. But these are the first two challenges that he's actually thrown. So now he's 0 for 2 for his career on throwing that red flag. Uh, the Nico Collins one, I I think that he I think that Collins had the touchdown. Like, I mean, he's right there on the line. Like, I I kind of get it. Like, no, I do get it why it, it wasn't overturned. But that one's completely fair. You have to you have to challenge that one. Now, when challenging the spot, this is one that. That one's a kind of tougher and because you, you just don't ever win it. Like that one, yeah. there's never anything that's definitive to move the ball an inch or two. Yeah. So, I mean, coaches challenge the spot. Like, I think we see it a couple of times a year. Like it doesn't happen that often and they always lose. And I think that's why we only see it a couple of times a year, but it was literally fourth in an inch. So it's like, just go for it, you know, save your challenge, save your timeout. Our offense wasn't really doing anything. The reason we were up so big was because of our defense. Like I thought for sure the Titans were going to come back, but our defense kept making plays and Tannehill kept doing boneheaded things. But so my thought was like, I thought we were going to turn into a close game and that timeout would be more valuable Mm. because it's an inch. It was an inch. So no, I definitely get it. He had a case. If you look at the, if you look at the video, like I think that it was a bad spot. Yeah. But just because you're right doesn't necessarily mean it's a smart move to, to make. Do, do you remember? Do you remember the spot they did? And I mean, that was a bad one. Do you remember the spot in Mexico City? And I mean, there was some terrible. Oh calls. man! And, it, and and the guy almost moved it back about two yards. And I don't think they challenged it that night because um, I think it didn't matter what what you did. I think there was a. Uh, Grander forces what the Raiders win that night, but uh, with the laser pen and everything, and the Hopkins one where he was where he ran down the sidelines and they, they claimed he was out of bounds and, and stuff. That's about the most egregious refereeing performance I've ever seen. I know that's been in vogue this season, and that I mean there was a couple of calls. There was there was that one, and then what did you think of the the one right at the end of the half? Uh, was that intentional ground then? Because because he, he wasn't out of the pocket, so um, they got they've got to call it there, and then the, the, the clock ran. Oh yeah, that was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was that was intentional. That was pretty straightforward, in my opinion. Yeah. What What was the surprise, and what was the the? And I suppose it goes back to Mike Vrabel. You you can, when you watch him, you kind of think, would you want him a head coach? He's not likable if he's not your head coach. Uh, but you see him at the refs 
constantly always always give you know giving it. He's this sort of archetypal, you know, quarterback or or you know he's the archetypal jock, isn't he? I suppose in many ways he's he's the he's uh he's he's probably not everybody's kind of you know perfect uh, candidate, but I suppose. He's done a good job there, but you saw him join at the refs, you know, constantly. You saw him right at the end of the game when I think they, I think they took a delay of game, and he was getting, you could see him dropping f bombs <laughs> like they were going out of fashion towards the end of the game. So, I suppose when you see Vrabel, you think, you know, he was in your building. Could you? I mean, it was probably too early to pivot to him at that point, considering all the other stuff that was going on. But um, he's done a good job there, I think. And he, he, but he certainly wasn't yes. too happy with us. Yeah, he absolutely has. Like. I didn't think he was going to do as well as he has, to tell you the truth, because he was such a disaster as a coordinator. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Granted, yeah, he the year he was coordinator, he really didn't have the excuse that the team was out of talent. Um, he still, there was still a fair, fair amount of talent on that team, and he just absolutely was horrible as a coordinator. And I remember we were all extremely happy about him getting hired by Tennessee because he was failing upwards. But prior to him being a coordinator here, there was talk. I mean, granted, this is from a podcast that doesn't exist anymore. But that that guy had talked about how Vrabel, they kind of viewed him as the next guy up after Bill O'Brien. And I think it was a couple of things. Like, the Texans were looking better. Um, Deshaun, Deshaun was developing that kind of just made it impossible to say Vrabel would let go of Bill O'Brien to promote Vrabel up at the time. And do I think he would have had the same success here that he had in Tennessee? I'm like, well, he, in Tennessee, he had Arthur Smith and Derrick Henry. Like, there was a couple of things that just went well for him there. Um, like, obviously, it's not – obviously, you can't say that he's a bad head coach because they've done well since he's been there. But at the same time, he kind of lucked into a, a situation that was pretty good. And I don't know that having him here would have changed our situation that much. Yeah. Do you know, I had a thought just watching him because he, he he's he's obviously a kind of big figure, you know. Because Sergio talked about that during the week about how the team's built in his image, and that's definitely true. Um, but I was wondering if he was here, would he have let kind of some of this stuff happen? Is he? I know he's obviously hot headed, and you saw that. But would he have let? Does he see the bigger picture of it? And sometimes when you hear him speak, I think he maybe does. Um, but yeah, yeah, we could all do f butts and maybe he's done for seventeen hours. I know. I mean, there's. <laughs> Vrabel's an extremely powerful personality. Yeah. Um, it would have been interesting because I think Casario, Casario really wants to be the guy that's in charge. Like he hired Cully and he he didn't let Cully assemble a staff. He he assembled that staff. Like this is going to be Casario's team. It doesn't matter who the head coach is. Um, which I don't think that would have flown with Vrabel. Like the Titans are Vrabel's team. Like John Robinson is the um, is the GM, but it's, it's Vrabel's team. Like there's no hmm. if, ands or buts about that. Like, you know, he's got his coordinators. He promotes up the guys he wants. Whereas here, Kelly's a figurehead. Like Kelly's not, I mean, Kelly's not in charge of that team. Casario is Kelly's the coach out there on the field. And I'm sure, and he has all the head coach responsibilities and so forth. But again, ultimately, I think everybody in Houston, if they asked who the boss was, they wouldn't go to Cully. They would say it was Casario, where in Tennessee, I think it would be the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's maybe a touch overbearing, but I suppose we've seen what the 
what the inverse model can do to your club. So yeah, I suppose it's until we uh, until we get a true evaluation, we'll see. Just on the defensive side, the ball to wrap up some of the game, John. But I thought Jonathan Greenard out, um, you know, would we have trouble up front? But actually, I think Malik Collins continues to flash. Uh, Roy mm-hmm. Lopez was in the TFL. Ross Blacklock probably had his best game as a Texan. Um, you know, there's a couple of big plays there. He obviously got the sack, then he was down. Uh, but he got a TFL earlier than that. He's going up against Adrian Peterson, you know, and I know he got a couple of stupid penalties too. Um, but he, he, it was his, it was his uh, pressure that right up the gut against Saffold that made, made, uh, made them throw the throw the additional grounder right the second half. So he goes right in Tannehill's face at that point. So it was good to see because he's he's, he's not done a huge event. There isn't too many uh, clips you could put together as a as a resume to this point. But I thought the defensive front as a whole and those three guys in particular gave gave you a lot. And I thought Demarcus Walker as well, who's you know so so um, guy, but. He uh, he pushed the pocket on the on the failed fourth down conversion in the second half, um, and then he 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 also made a he also put a a, pre, a a pressure on a on a third down call which which forced Tennessee to go in fourth down in the third at the end of the third quarter as well. So I think up front those guys and Lovey Smith as a whole defense was was pretty was pretty good. I think up to that point, and I I suppose the the only uh, the biggest the biggest flaw they made in the red zone was uh, Zach Cunningham punching the ball out and. Uh, Somebody jumping on it, which was, <laughs> which I thought it would get overturned when I was. I was just watching it on a on my mobile, um, when I was uh when I was coming back there. But I, I thought it would get overturned. But, um, but yeah, I thought the defense overall, you know, you know, you know, acquitted themselves well. I think because of the the offense we were up against. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's what I, I'm not sure what their contract situations are, but Collins, um, Gruger Hill, King. They those three definitely need to be retained at all costs. I think well, not at all costs, but you know, at reasonable costs. Um, Blacklock's actually had a very good year. I'm not, he it, he was out a couple of games. He was hurt, um, but the games that he's played, you can see him making an impact, even if it's not been reflected in the box score. Um, and then remember, Grenard was out hurt yesterday, yeah. and they were able to do all that. So I think they've done a really solid job with the defensive line. Uh, Derek Rivers showed up, and he looked good. Um, again, no complaints there. Um, the biggest shock for me was actually the secondary. Eric Murray actually, yeah, like, where, did, where did he come from? Like, <laughs> yeah. where was this guy the whole, you know, past couple, past couple of years or last year or whatnot? He, he actually looked like he belonged out there. So maybe it's the way the scheme is. I don't know, but I mean, yeah, he looked good. And of course, I mean, of course, Reed looked good. Uh, Jacob Martin, he got that strip sack. Yeah. So, I mean, they've they've done a very good job of our our defense, all things considered, and especially compared to where it was last year. Um, there's an article I gotta find it. I gotta sort source it because I almost feel bad repeating the uh, claim out of it without having the source. But I'm gonna say it anyways because I think it's interesting. The Texans are playing like a top 15 defense. They're playing like a better defense than their record shows. However, the article made the point that it's based off the Texans um, having just incredible turnover luck. Like you don't expect teams to have as many turnovers as the Texans have forced, which is making the defense look better than they actually are. So I thought that that was always a hallmark of uh, Levy Smith defenses is their ability to create turnovers but maybe not at this pace but regardless 
we're top 15 defense with turnovers, without the turnovers, still, you know, we've gone from having an all-time worst defense to at least, you know, not the worst 10 defenses in the league without the turnovers. So it's just been an incredible, incredible job by Lovey Smith, the guys they've put up there. And, you know, we don't have the superstars either anymore. So I have no complaints about the defense. Like, they won that game. And still, to me, it's the greatest irony. Like, last year, if we had this defense last year, um, and granted, we all know the situations around that, but this Mm -hmm. defense with last year's offense, like, that team makes some noise. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're they're easily in the playoffs. They're maybe not quite a Super Bowl team, but they're they're in there. They can actually – they can make some noise. Yeah. So it's yeah, just it's it's funny we go from having one year where we have an all time worst defense with a, a pretty good offense to this year we go we have a pretty good defense to an all time bad offense even with Tyrod Taylor playing fairly well yesterday. Yeah, I suppose there's, there's probably some points I would caveat yesterday. I suppose they were down, so they had to ban the run game, albeit. So I think that's there's still a big weakness with the with the current composition of players in the scheme. I think and. You know, there'll be a few ground attacks that catches out before the end of the season. Um, I suppose the weather probably inhibited it and obviously the injuries as well, you know, mounted up and Tano had a career bad day. But, you know, that all being said, you're still going to go out there and they're getting paid and to make plays too. But, yeah, I think some of the secondary guys probably popped a little more than they normally would just because of the competition they were going against rather than it wasn't Julio Jones, A.G. Brown was standing on the sidelines. So um, you've got to compete with that. But one thing I thought myself, John, yesterday and this morning again watching back was, I don't think Malik Collins will be here next year because when you think of how rare interior pressure is to find, there's not a huge amount of guys that do it. You can count on one hand, and I think he's flashed enough for the last couple of weeks that he's probably going to get an offer that, if he, you know, if you're his agent, you're probably going to see. It's like, but yeah. it, it would be something if we could lock up both Blacklock and Collins because then, then you've got an interior offense or interior defense blind. They can really they can do something like that'll that'll be something you can build a team around but yeah you're right collins they don't lock him up soon like if he gets to if he reaches free agency in the offseason like there's gonna be a bit of, i think that he's gonna go out there and he's gonna get a pretty decent check and here's here's also the thing to be concerned about that though last time he got a decent check his play fell off the fell mm. off the net fell off the ledge like he he did not look good yeah, I think that's a consideration. So that 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 may well, you know, inhibit teams from giving him money. He's a couple of years older than he was when he got that deal in in Vegas and and Dallas chose not to resign him as well. So yeah, I mean, those forces might, you know, he might have upset enough dealing coaches to not get enough references for anybody to open up their checkbook in the front office. But we'll wait and see. I think he's he's been a real a real positive on 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 that. Um, and it was you look, it's it's great to win a game. I know that everybody's take you know made uh, you know comments about the Texans football feeling and all that kind of stuff, but. Um, it's it's certainly it's certainly good to win a game, and it, it's um, as I said, I'm not too bothered about oh, draft yeah. order, and it's uh, and it's good just and especially in a, you know the ex Oilers and all that kind of stuff too. So, you know, sometimes it goes your way, and I think that's just the way the league. Even with an extra game this year, you're always you know any team, regardless of your ability coaching, you've always got a chance to win a game. But um, and I think that the buy would have benefited as well. I think you know you get it does definitely look it looked fresh. Um, obviously Lonnie Johnson moving to get many snaps. Uh, Jordan Aitkins, I mean, he was on his way out or he was a healthy scratch yesterday as well. What did you make of that? Healthy scratch, yep. Which is, I mean, it's the way to go. Aitkins won't be back. Um, for whatever reason, he's never, he never really had as much of an opportunity as you would think he should have had based on like his separation numbers, based on his yak numbers. Like he's a guy that 
you would think they would have tried to get the ball more for him. They would have schemed ways to throw the ball to him, and they, and they never really did. But here's the fun thing. Like, Brevin Jordan is a younger version of Aikens. Like, so go with the guy that's going to develop. Like, Brevin Jordan, who knows what he's going to actually turn into, but right now he's almost – He's almost where Aikens is. Like, Aikens can't block either. Um, they kept trying to use Aikens also as an H-block, an H-back, and that never really worked. I think he sprung, like, he sprung one run, and then he himself has had one solid run. So, again, you, I don't ever know if it's the coach is giving up or he just can't do it. But you might as well at this guy point, when you've just got a younger version, especially where we see how this season's going to go, give it, let the younger guy try and yeah, that's right. And I suppose we've got, um, you've got kind of, a, I suppose it's, a, it's a, a needed win because I think that'll maybe give some people a little bit of sentiment around the team because you've got a stretch of three home games right now that we're looking potentially to be a little bit threadbare in the, in yep. the, uh, in the stands as well as, as well as uh, on the field. But um, how do you think that win and sets up and what's your expectations for this next three game stretch, which, you know, a couple of these are perhaps winnable. Well, I mean, if you just look by record, we should be able to at least play with both the Jets and the Seahawks. Um, the Colts, how did the Colts do this past weekend? Um, I know Jonathan Taylor is just otherworldly yeah. right now. So yeah, they handled Buffalo. So <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think we're gonna, I don't think we're gonna play with the Colts. But the the Jets and the Seahawks, those should be very, very competitive games. We've already beat the Jaguars, so. Our next four games, like if we come out with another win or two, like that's definitely within reason. Um, I know there's going to be a lot of a lot of tears if uh, if we do because you know the, our draft position is going to fall. But let's be honest, winning is winning is so much more fun, and we're not. I mean, you look at the way the schedule fills out. Even if we get two more wins, we're still going to have a top five pick. Like it's not. It's not like it's going to drop us out of the top 10 because we're not beating the Chargers. We're not beating the Niners. And if we somehow beat the Titans again, even if that does cost us to fall out of the top five, like I'm all for it. I'm all for beating the Titans twice in a year, no matter what. Yeah. And it, it continues just to be such a strange year, like in terms of mm-hmm. results. I mean, the Patriots, like 25 to, to, to nothing um, on Thursday night. The Dolphins then obviously pick up form. Like the Panthers at the start of the year playing well, and you know that was one of the games maybe could have won in another night if Tyra was playing, but um, you know they've regressed subsequently. Yeah, and then the Colts go and you know handle the Bills, put forty one points, so it wasn't necessarily what what you'd see it. So I think when you look around the league, it's kind of uh, it's it's some strange results, you know, um, continue to go. So I think you know, you never know what's going to happen because this year I don't know if it's coming off COVID, if it's if it's having fans back in the in the stadium or what have you. Um, you know, there's been some strange results, so. Yeah, it's. Uh, I suppose it just gives you. It, it takes the burden off a little bit of win, doesn't it? I think because it's been tough going um, at times. You know, as you said, getting young guys to play like there's a reason to go and watch the film and and see what Brevin Jordan did. What did Jimmy Morrissey do? Is he you know is he a better you know opportunity for you at centre than bringing Justin Britt back on a couple of mil when you can play a guy at the vet men you know or whatever and approve it deal so. Um, you know there is stuff to watch. I think. Is there anything you want to see them or any guys you want to see in this next stretch where you've got a kind of bit more of a controlled environment at home, less travel, more time to prepare? You know what? What do you think they should they need to be working on the next kind of couple of weeks? Well, I mean, I want to see if there's anything with Royce, uh, Royce Freeman. Yeah. Um, just I, I 
honestly, it's not what do I want to see. It's what I want to see less of. And I want to see less of David Johnson specifically. Um, I think that that's, that's done. Let's, let's try something else. Um, I just, no matter what it takes, I want to see less of David Johnson. Um, would prefer to see more Scotty Phillips, but he's on IR. So he's, he's out for at least three weeks. And the fact that it's an ankle injury and they put him on the IR means that it's probably more than three weeks. So I don't think we're going to see any more of him. So hopefully we can see something with Freeman, see what, see if he has anything. Um, I would prefer that they go out and try and find another running back and just let David Johnson walk. But again, what do I know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I think but that's pretty much, I mean, that's pretty much where I'm at. Like I, I want him to win. I want to continue, continue to see progress on the defense. I, and I, the offense is just a hot mess. Yeah, I think so. You, you 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 want to see some watchable games because there's been Buffalo, the Rams. You know, there's been a number of ones. The cards on the road it just wasn't watchable. So some watchable games. Um, I'm you know over the moon that I'm going to be going back there. I'll be there on Sunday. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. It's been a long, long time since I've been there. So or it feels like that anyway. So um, get experience my first ever Thanksgiving in person, which is cool. And uh, and go watch a game on the Sunday. So I think it uh, it's probably it's probably going to maybe crystallise some of the stuff. You know, you hear people about you know less tailgating and things like that. People disinterested, complete apathy for the team. But I'm still excited to go, and I'm still excited to just uh, to hopefully start to see the turn the corner a little bit. You know, and sometimes wins can do that. But and I think the Jets is a is a reasonable option to win, and I think it's it's. Um, it's a it's a game that you know it might be Joe Flacco or it might be Mike White or it might be um, Zach Wilson. I probably don't know at this stage, but yeah, it's certainly a game. I think John that um, that's winnable. Yeah, I mean we'll be able to play with them at least. Like it shouldn't be a blowout. They've got a um, well, I think Carter's hurt, but I was going to say between Ty Johnson and Michael Carter, they've got a couple of interesting running backs. Uh, Mike White. Um, I mean, I know a couple of weeks ago, everybody was incredibly excited about him, but didn't he just get benched for Joe Flacco? So, I mean, I'd rather see, I'd rather see Zach Wilson than Flacco just because I want to see like what the younger guys can do. I'd rather see white than Flacco, but if Flacco plays, I mean, you know what? It doesn't really matter who plays. I think that we should be able to compete with them. And yet Elijah Molden and get 142 over eight receptions and a defeat to, to Miami. So I think, you know, there's another guy that, you know, that they're in a kind of similar position to us, albeit probably a couple a year for, further forward. But um, I, yeah, it's certainly a chance um, on paper anyway. They've obviously got a number of guys, just like the Miami game, that they would come in and walk in and start in our team. But yeah, we'll wait and see. Game at home. I don't know what the, the crowd will be like after Thanksgiving, but you got any Thanksgiving plans, John? Any traditions that you want to share? Uh, no, not really. We're just going to eat turkey here at the house. Um, because my my youngest son, his birthday is the first week of December. So normally, we prior to his birth, uh, grandparents would come down. But because, you know, his first birthday, nobody's coming down. Like So it's just going to be me, the wife, and the two kids. And that'll be nice. 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 So flying on Wednesday morning. Um, hopefully go to the Rockets on, on Wednesday night. Um, and then yeah, staying at a good friend of mine um, who's looking after oh, us nice. for the weekend. And 
yeah, we'll go and uh, spend Thanksgiving with their family. So looking forward to that. Never done it before. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, a, 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 a true reminder of what it means to be a Texan rather than just on the field. So uh, um, there's there's a whole a whole world of it as well. So and that's that's yeah. probably the the best bit of it is, or or it's the best you can say about it. Certainly about this team for the last year. But it felt uh, it was good to uh, good to feel on the right side of the tracks, I suppose, for for once for a Sunday. You know, it's, it's winning is always better than losing. I mean, I get, I, I absolutely get the tanking mentality. Like, Oh, you want to get the best pit possible. But as a fan, as somebody that watches the Texans and enjoy football, I would much t- rather take a win any day of the week. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, looking forward to John. I know you'll be up in Austin, John, hoping to meet up with some people that have uh, been very kind uh, with their time. And I wouldn't be able to do this yeah. without all those people. So thanks again to John of for course. his time. Um, any last words before we get here, John? Uh, no, I mean, hopefully everybody has a happy, safe Thanksgiving and we get to watch the Texans, you know, further ruin their draft position this weekend against the Jets. Well, that's it, yeah. Uh, it's a decent, it's a, it's a not bad slate of games on, on yeah. Thursday if you're watching. So, um, happy Thanksgiving when it comes to you. Um, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Um, I was probably in a bit of a, a pit of apathy in terms of uh, writing any articles, but uh, a long-haul flight might might be engender one. But th- but uh, check in anything you have on podcasttexas.com if you like it on YouTube. Um, last week's one, looking at some draft prospects, um, really picked up. So please, please keep sharing, subscribing, all that kind of good stuff. Um, and we'll speak to you again next week.